socially distancing yourself, so please respect others with that, and I know you will. And then the board up here is respecting that as well, so without masks, you should know that we are um, following guidelines with our distancing that's by our masks are off, okay? Um, so we have a, a packed agenda tonight, so I am going to begin um, by handing over to Mr. Brian Pitts, our superintendent. Things in my report tonight uh, to start off with. Tonight, I'm going to ask you uh, for your approval uh, for me to sit, continue sitting on the board of the Ed Services Commission of New Jersey, uh, formerly the Ed Services Commission of Middlesex County. We expanded uh, to touch upon the whole state uh, a few years ago. Uh, I've been on that board, uh, there's no cost to the district. Um, I've been on that board for six years. Uh, there's never been a Mercer County, there's never been a Atlanta County, mostly Middlesex, Camden County. So if you prove me tonight to continue that, I would greatly appreciate that. Um, there's professional development uh, every month. It's a monthly meeting up in Piscataway. Um, just puts me in touch with uh, a number of superintendents and board members from around the state uh, who are in the know of what's going on, particularly about special ed. So I'm going to ask you for that uh, approval tonight. Um, so it's a Friday morning, once a month, uh, up in Piscataway. Um, as you may be aware, uh, every uh, Six months, districts are asked to review and approve uh, the semi-annual HIV report uh, as per your policy 5512. Um, this is a, a little strange from the state. If you're approving something or looking at something that's a year and a half to two years old by the time they compile it and put your scores together. Um, but your scores are very good. Um, out of 78, we're at 66 at the high school, 57 at uh, Pond Road and Sharon at 65, which are very good scores. Uh, you get points for training of your staff and uh, administrators, you get points for having an HIV updated policy. You get certain points. The uh, HIV coordinator puts this together, compiles it, submits it to the state, and then we get it back a year and a half to two years later. So um, it's a good reflection if it was in a timely manner. It usually isn't, but uh, that's. Uh, very positive news that we're addressing the uh, HIV requirements in the state. Brian, can I have to say something real quick? Yep. So I would like to say to the board, I think the scores are going to be higher next year because of some of the protocols and policies that we put in place with Laurie Rotundo with, with him, that I think they're going to see even marked improvement next time Brian shares these scores with you. Thank you. Um, also, I want to ask you to approve uh, our strategic goals as we discussed at, at last week's retreat. Um, you have full copies of it, but these are just the, the goals based on the input that you uh, provided. So uh, when we're done giving our presentation tonight, we can go and, and, and approve that, uh, Mr. Price. Um, I'm sure this is why everyone is here tonight. Uh, Dr. Tu and I are, are going to do a presentation on uh, our plan for reopening schools in, in September. Uh, give us a minute or two. We're going to ask the board members to sit in the audience. They have um, some assigned seats, so they're socially distanced. We're going to drop. The, the screen right here, Dr. Tu and I uh, are going to do an overview of, of the plan. And again, thank you so much for coming out tonight. Um, we did this in person uh, because I think this is it, it's so important that you need to have that direct communication with the stakeholders of, of the district. Uh, so that's a piece of it. And then Thursday night, Dr. Tu and I are going to do an all-virtual meeting where we'll get really into the weeds of what it's going to look like. Even though we'll cover it tonight, it'll be kind of not a bird's eye view, a giraffe's eye view of what this looks like. Uh, and then Thursday, 
we'll do it virtually. You'll get a chance to call in, send your questions, and whatnot. Although we'll take questions tonight, uh, and we'll do our best to answer them. Uh, we're not going to try to get into the weeds tonight. That'll save for Thursday. And then what we're hoping to do, if there are still questions out there, the, uh, the email's still open, and then we're probably going to hold uh, virtual nights for each building, a shower night, pond night, and a high school night. Same format for Thursday, where then you can just focus on high school, Sharon, and, and Pond. So that's kind of the, the idea tonight. So um, without further ado, we'll ask the board members to move, we'll drop the screen, and we'll get into it. Everybody can hear okay? Again, thank you very much for, for coming out. Uh, someone described this process uh, of trying to uh, be a, a goalie in, in uh, hockey and trying to defend 50 hockey pucks being shot at you at the same time. Uh, it's been a moving target. It's been a very uh, interesting process. A process, that's, a process that started probably months ago. Uh, before I even started as superintendent, uh, I was on virtual meetings with Dr. Tu and her staff, the administrative staff. Fantastic conversations. Uh, I was really looking forward to coming here, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons, but based on the high level of discussions they were having, particularly about improving virtual and hybrid instruction, knowing that something was going to happen in the future. We didn't know what September was going to look like, um, and that's where this whole process started. Um, so tonight, Dr. Tu and I will take you through that process, give you a, an overview of where we stand, get into some of the, the details and, and the minutia, and again ask. Have you uh, some asking questions uh, in a little bit during the public session of the, of the presentation? Components of the plan. This came from the DOA, DOE uh, about a month or so ago. Um, four different general ideas or general um, areas for this plan: conditions for learning, leadership and planning, policies and funding, continuation of learning, and then broken down by this. Once we go through this presentation tonight. This presentation will be available for you on the website, as well as the plan, which is right now about 85 pages long. It's a, a lot to get through, but it really breaks down uh, and gets into the details of what uh, we're going to be doing in September. And you can see the plan addresses all of these areas, but where the rubber really hits the road, when you look at the plan and the appendices, A through R, and we could probably add to it, um, that's how long this plan is and how complicated this process is. Uh, but that's what it looks like uh, from the DOA, and then we mirrored that in our uh, full plan. So how we created our plan, uh, we based it on the DOE, use it as a template, uh, based it on the brand new policies. We use a company called Strauss Estimate. 
which is a company run by attorneys, and they look at things happening at the state level, and they offer suggestions for policies. As soon as the roadmap came out from the DOE, they established policies for us to approve. So we, we incorporated those policies into our plan as well. Based on what seems like ever-changing guidance from the CDC, health and safety of our kids and our staff members, we formed a committee. Uh, a reopening committee basically was the upper management of the uh, district, myself, Dr. Chu, uh, our principals, uh, Rotundo, who is our director of, of uh, guidance, um, Ms. Goomer, who is our director of special services, Mr. Murphy, who is our director of facilities, uh, Ms. Tui, who is our IT director, and I think, anything, I think that's it. Uh, we started talking weeks ago and trying to put some of the details to what this plan is going to look like for September based on the structures and the mandates we were given from the Department of Education. So that's a general committee. Each school then, uh, as per the, the document, formed pandemic response teams. Some of those meetings started just today. And that's really where the rubber meets the road uh, on the school level. They're talking about signage, arrows, cleaning, that type of thing. Those will be ongoing and then eventually added to, to their school level plan for addressing the reopening of, of schools. So I want to thank the principals uh, and their team of staff members and parents that sit on that committee, on the, all three committees. Uh, and the administrator, as I said before, the administrative team of this district has been terrific in promoting and, and doing what's right by kids and by staff members. And also our teachers union, the REA, um, fantastic, nothing but helpful in trying to figure all this out. So the driving factors that we decided would guide our decision making. Um, in this order, we started with health and, health and safety. Right? We want our kids to be safe, we want our staff members to be safe. So that guided our decision making. That when we got, uh, we reached a roadblock and couldn't decide which way to go, we said, what's the safest and healthiest way for our kids and our staff members to come back in September? Then we considered the vulnerable students. Right? Those little guys that are still learning to read. Right? Some of our ESL uh, learners, some of our students with IEPs, uh, those, those, those children. Then we took into consideration child care and supervision. And to me, this is a tough one. Right? No matter what we decide and coming back, it's going to impact you as parents. So we tried to be sensitive uh, in the schedule and then some of the other supports that we're going to offer. And I'll get uh, into that in a little bit. And then the fourth thing we considered is instructional practices, which usually should be at the top, or at least the second, when you're talking about a school district. We want to offer the very best instructional practices for our students every single day, pre-K through 12th grade. Because of all the other things, it almost had to take a back seat at times. Uh, so we've been working diligently through uh, Dr. Tu's department and her staff members to make that virtual experience and that 100% um, virtual experience and hybrid as robust and as accountable as possible for the students and for yourselves. So some of the things that we considered in health and safety, um, health screenings each morning, I'll talk about that in a little bit. You'll see hand sanitizer stations everywhere. Uh, and this will tell you is just a, a, a small list, it's probably about five pages of things we're doing to keep these uh, schools clean and sanitized. Uh, staff and students wearing masks, except those with medical conditions. Um, from door to door, 
So when your child leaves in the morning to the time they get home uh, in the afternoon, we're asking them to wear masks. Uh, we're disinfecting high exposure rotation areas throughout the buildings. Um, we have a staff of terrific custodians that have been assigned because we're not serving lunch, can rotate through the buildings continuously cleaning throughout the day. Um, social distancing as best we can throughout the buildings and on buses. Uh, sterilizing the buses between runs and we've purchased these electrostatic sprayers. It's kind of like Ghostbusters with a, a backpack and you have a gun and it's hooked up uh, and it sprays a mist and deodorizes and sanitizes things within four minutes. So we've done so much more to make our schools uh, healthy and safe for everyone coming back in September. Those vulnerable students I talked about a little bit, uh, and, and at this point, we consider all students vulnerable, right? They should all be back in school. But because of the guidelines and the things happening with our, our, our country and our society, pandemic and everything, um, we've been mandated to bring kids back in a safe manner and to socially distance them. Um, we would love to have them all back, right? That's where the best instruction happens, face to face with a teacher in a classroom. We can't do that at this point because of everything happening. So we decided to really focus on those kids with IEPs and 504s, any of our children that are medically, medically fragile that are able to come back into a school environment. Our younger learners, our ELLs, um, all those students are considered vulnerable uh, and we specifically uh, address them in our plan. Uh, we know with childcare that one size does not fit all. And to me, this has been the area of most frustration 3,200 students roughly in the district, probably 1,000 different families, and probably more than that, right? Whatever model that we present is not gonna please everyone. Uh, it, it just isn't. You know, we, we, we kind of you know, batted around a lot of different ideas, but we really considered um, childcare and, and what would work and not work. And you know, we talked to moms, we talked to staff members that are, that are parents in Robinsville and other districts. And whatever we came up with, they said this would work, this wouldn't work. It just is one of those questions, uh, those problems that doesn't have a clean answer. And to me, the area of, of most frustration. But I think we've picked something that is somewhere in the middle of the road that can meet criteria and should be easier, for, hopefully, for parents to find that, that childcare if you so desire. Um, we are keeping families together. We're dividing our children roughly in half by alphabet. So if you have a child at Sharon and at the high school, they will pretty much go to school the same days. If you have a, a child at Pond and Sharon, they'll go to school the same days. We thought that was a great idea until one of the moms said, I don't want my kids going to school at the same time because uh, it's crazy in my house, right? I have three kids trying to learn remotely at the same time. It's not easy. Can you send my high schooler in a different cycle? We said, absolutely, we, we, we can do that. Um, so we'll be flexible on those things. Uh, eventually, when you get your schedule and know what cohort you're in, and I'll talk about that in a second, um, there's a lot of flexibility, but we are only as good or as flexible as the staff coming back is, who's coming back, what positions they have, what are their certifications, and which students are coming back. So that's tied our hands, which is why, and I know it was a tight turnaround, asking you to make decisions before this presentation tonight. Um, as a parent myself, that would have been a challenge, right? But what I was telling parents, before you hear the, the intricacies of hybrid versus remote and what in-person is gonna be, think about health and safety. 
Would you send your child back to the school and do you feel safe? That should be your first criteria. I get the importance of the other, I do as an educator. But as a father, health and safety should come first. Um, but again, back to the, the child care, we decided to keep families together, but if you need to change things a little bit, you know, we're gonna try to be flexible on those types of things. We thought it very important that transportation be available every single day. Meaning, bus stops will be assigned A days, B days, but it's the same run every single day for 180 days. So if for some reason you need to call the school and say, you know, and this was one of the questions, many questions I've been asked uh, online, can I jump back and forth between you know, virtual, my child's not doing well, can I opt for the other after things get going? And you can with about, we're asking for a three business day notice, but the bus will be there. It's not gonna have to be a special run or anything, so we've kept it flexible. If your child uh, gets ill one day, right, and you're supposed to be in person, can they jump that day and watch it virtually and count for attendance? Absolutely. Or I have an emergency, can I send my son to school on an A day when he's in the B cohort? You can, because the transportation will be there. Right? We're not doing anything special with that. And then we are looking to extend the RED program whenever possible. Uh, that comes down to staffing again and, and who's coming back and um, you know, do we have the proper supervision. We're still getting that information from our staff members. We should have all that, who's coming back student-wise, who's coming back as staff sometime, hopefully next week, we start then plotting this out and seeing exactly what we can do. Well, got cut off a little bit. Yeah. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming tonight. I know these are not easy decisions, and I think we're all frustrated that we thought this was going to be done, that we thought we'd be back to normal in September, and so I, I empathize with you. I have a child myself. These are not easy decisions to make. Um, so instructional practices, um, early dismissal. So there's been a lot of questions of why early dismissal. Um, so for a couple of reasons, going back to what Brian said about health and safety. Right now, we cannot eat in indoor restaurants. You're gonna put 100 kids in a cafeteria together and eat. You know, what does that look like socially distanced? Um, coverage, staffing, those kind of things. The other thing that is part of the plan is that families who opt for a fully remote experience have to have an equitable experience. So if teachers are with kids for a full day, when are they meeting with those remote learners? How are they checking in with those remote learners? Whether they're hybrid coming in tomorrow or whether they're 100% remote. So those are the reasons why we did early dismissal. Um, two other school districts, Ewing and Hopewell, I talked to today, who had a plan for K-5 full day. They are now saying they can't do it. They don't have the staffing for it. Um, we have an 1,100-kid building at Sharon. It's just not feasible with the size of our buildings for a full day of elementary. Trust me, especially for those younger kiddos, I want them to be there a full day, but there's a lot of reasons why we can't. So there's gonna be two cohorts. Um, one will attend on Mondays and Tuesdays, and group two will attend on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Fridays will swing between the two groups. We're gonna talk about why Friday in a minute. And then the district calendar, we're gonna send you so that you know. And it will be modified based on holidays. For example, November comes to mind. It's a very choppy month. What about NJEA break? What about Thanksgiving? We'll notify you ahead of time for those special kind of weeks to catch up the date. We sort of sat down and did a mock calendar and it, and it can work out that there'll be an equitable number of days between cohort one and cohort number two. Now, coming to the instruction, 
best practices is in the roadmap back. This is just best practices in curriculum and instruction. We're going to focus on baseline and early fall to determine student needs. So that might look like NWA math testing in grades one through seven. It might look like a literally online running record if you have kids in K to eight. It might look like an online math assessment in grades six through 12. Your kids are going to be like, oh my gosh, how many inventories are they going to do on me? But this is to kind of get that pulse see where they are and move forward, whether they're with us in person or virtually. So we've invested in a lot of online platforms to ensure whether kids are in front of us or they're learning at home, we can get a read on where they are. The next thing is that staff in the spring did a lot of talking about what did we not get to as much in depth this school year. I teach pre-calculus. I didn't get to unit 10 because of the way remote learning shook out. So for their calculus now, what does the calculus teacher now need to hit in September or in October to make sure that there's not these gaps and that they're not proliferating, right? Um, so they're gonna work in September in the PD days. So we have three PD days at the beginning of this year to give the staff that extra time to kind of talk about these important things. And they're gonna identify, here are our standards of the year. In fourth grade ELA, we need to hit X, Y, and Z. This is gonna get covered as much in third grade. We're gonna start there and build from it. We're gonna make sure that kids are doing social emotional learning and they're focusing on those important Robinsville Ready skills. So I know that some of you wanna do the right reading, writing, arithmetic the first day back. We believe that relationship building is key. These kids have not been with each other, they have not been with their teachers, and if something happens and we have to go fully remote again, relationships are super important. And they're really hard to establish when everyone's on a computer screen. So we really wanna do this work embedded into our classroom instruction throughout the year, but especially at the we're gonna talk about the new normal and hygiene. Your teachers are gonna be saying, you know, when we come back from recess, we wash our hands. When you walk in the building, arrows are this way, sort of how it's sort of marked here. All of those routines and procedures have to be talked about with kids, and really, especially for the younger ones, affirming it is safe here, we're okay here, because we're still gonna learn here. Because it could be really scary when everyone is wearing a mask and we can't do the same things that we wanna do. They're kids, right? So we really wanna emphasize why we're doing it and why it's important for our physical health and safety. Those three professional development days at the beginning of the year are gonna focus on social emotional learning, that curriculum piece that I talked to you about, trauma-informed instruction, because there's a lot of stress and anxiety in the world, whether they're kids or adults. Uh, remote learning, improving those remote learning practices and equitable classroom practices. That's one of our four goals for the next couple of years. And we wanna make sure that those um, vulnerable populations really make sure that they're getting the supports that they need. And then one of the things that we're gonna add this year, because we heard from parents, I don't understand Google Classroom, I don't know what Seesaw is, I don't know the logins, etc. cetera, a video resource library so that you can watch quick two to three minute YouTube videos of here's what it is, here's how to access it, all of those wonderful things. Hold on. All right, the new normal for now. Uh, a day in the life of one of our students. Uh, they wake up, get ready for school. Hopefully have a good breakfast uh, and are just wanting to come back to school. Um, we're asking parents to do a health screen, take a temperature, all right? Provide that feedback, fever, headache, aches and pains around anyone with COVID. And then we're asking you to certify that on a daily basis through the parent portal in Genesis. 
You can do it on your phone, you can do it on a uh, desktop, you can do it on, on a laptop. However you uh, identify uh, or jump into Genesis, that's how you will do this on a daily basis. Um, if there are no symptoms, clear to go to school, fantastic. You submit it to the school, Genesis, it goes to our nurses, goes to our principals, uh, so they have that information stored again on a daily basis. Um, masks, door to door, as best we can. Um, bus or car, uh, as I said before, we're running our transportation routes, normal um, routes every single day, 180 days. We understand there'll probably be a lot of parents wanting to drive their children to school. You figure half the kids are coming roughly to a school, particularly I understand Sharon can be a little sketchy in the morning with drop off and all that. Uh, I don't know at this point what that's gonna look like. The pandemic response team is working on that. They may have different drop off locations. We're gonna ask local police to help us out in the mornings at our schools, which again, I've heard are, are not pretty, right? Rock pond as well is not, is not great. Um, but we're hoping with less traffic, less parents dropping off, um, that will make up the difference and the help of the police will, will help make that safe. Uh, when you come to school, sanitize everywhere. Wash hands, sanitizing stations everywhere. Each classroom will have a kit of masks, sanitizer, gloves, those types of things in each of our classrooms across the district. Socially distancing everywhere. Half the kids in a classroom, that was the biggest issue, right? Uh, some of our, many of our classrooms are not really big. You put 20 kids in there, there's no way to even be three feet apart at times. And kids are gonna be kids, they're gonna wanna get up and move around. So we've um, distanced our classrooms every other seat, try to make that work. We're not gonna be at six feet, which is why we're asking the kids to wear masks at all times. We're gonna color code our schools. So green means areas where you can take your mask off. Uh, yellow means, you know, it depends if someone's around you. And the red, you definitely need to wear your mask. The kids will be going outside a lot during the day when the weather's nice. Little movement throughout the day, little movement as possible. Um, the special classes at Sharon will come to the kids. So the kids are not moving around the building. Those types of things are taking into consideration in the day in the life of one of our students. Signage will be everywhere. There may be arrows on the floor, one-way stickers on the lockers. Um, uh, particularly uh, at Sharon, it's a good example. You can't do one-way hallways. You're going to have to split the hallways, because, and the hallways are, are not very wide. But if you go one way down a hallway, you can't get back because the hallway ends down there. Um, so signage will be uh, talked about at the pandemic response uh, level, at the, on the school level. Snacks outside whenever possible. Um, we're working with Aramark, our food service provider, to have snacks available, available for kids. Uh, kids can bring snacks into school. Um, but hydration is a big issue because we're told we have to shut off the water fountains. So we're asking when you do school supplies and you see that list, water bottles are a necessity. Uh, we are working on buying water fillers, the automatic fillers for the kids. We do not have them in stock now. We have a few uh, spread out around the district, but we're gonna try to install those uh, as, as things, as the year, school year progresses. The problem is when you go to do that and buy those things, everyone wants them. So there's a backward and there's a lag of getting those things. And we jumped on that pretty early and we're still getting a lot of pushback from the vendors, they were out of supplies because every school in the country and around the world are asking for these things. One of the areas of frustration. 
Uh, washing hands often, although we're not allowed to use hand dryers. Because that creates a spray and a mist. Uh, so you see the kids you know, using paper towels throughout the day. Um, recess, particularly at Sharon, will be in designated areas. Right? The, the principal and her pandemic response team are going to designate Mrs. Smith's class. When you go outside, you're allowed in this area. Mr. Jones, you're allowed in this area uh, throughout the, the course of the day. Um, if kids are playing on the playground, as soon as they leave, our maintenance crew will be there with the electrostatic guns to spray down the entire playground. Four minutes to sanitize it, and then kids can, can play on it. Um, as I said before, most of the, at Sharon, uh, the specials will be coming to the kids, so the kids are not walking the hallways, outdoor as much as possible. Individual supplies. You go into the art world, we used to share a box of markers. Every child will have a little bag um, with you know, Susie's markers, Brian's markers, Kim's markers, um, school supplies. We're going to have the kids wearing backpacks again. I know we got rid of them in the high school uh, because we're not using lockers. Put things in lockers, lockers have to be clean. It takes time to do that, and again, our custodians will be making rounds, doing the common touch areas. They don't have time to get lockers on a, on a daily basis. They'll go home, they'll do homework, submit it via Google Classrooms and Seesaw, and we'll get into what that instructional day looks like next. Like. 
and you can be hopefully be flexible on, on that, that Friday. And why Fridays? Why is that so many on Fridays? Um, when we were putting this plan together, one of the driving factors uh, was the schedule of the high school. Uh, it's not, it's, I mean, it's very complicated. It's not, a, it's not an elementary schedule, right? Kids come to the school at Sharon, even the middle school, they're pretty much with the same teacher all day long. They don't switch classes. It's, it's fairly simple. You come to the high school, they're on cycle uh, days, different blocks, different uh, schedules, individual teachers teaching in, uh, you know, singletons and things like that. It really drove the need to do the, the AB back and forth. Um, and we we're thinking as we uh, dove deeper into this that it gives the teachers time to plan for that, that Friday class and meet with the, the kids on a more consistent basis. And then we look at the master calendar of the school year and realize that we miss a lot of Fridays, right? The Thursday uh, after Thanksgiving, the way uh, the winter break falls, that Friday is a day that kids are gonna be missing school anyway. So it's, it keeps it consistent as best we could that uh, teacher's not gonna have uh, the strong co cohort three more days than the Arville cohort at the end of the uh, um, winter break when we come back in January. It's pretty much even. So Fridays just work better for the schedule and they work better for the high school in planning, uh, planning wise uh, for the teachers. And then there are a ton of variables and, and this seems to be changing on a constant basis. Um, which makes it really difficult to put a plan together, right? Um, the number of families who have right now selected to be 100% uh, remote is around 37%. You figure 40% of our population is gonna be remote, right? That changed the dynamics of everything we were, we were talking about. And we don't know at this point who's coming back for our staff. We have staff members that are gonna be fragile, right? That um, have uh, issues where they, they can't come back to school. We've given them to the end of the week to submit their request to us. Uh, am I coming back? Am I gonna teach remote uh, learning? Once we know those numbers, and then we know that you know, roughly who's coming back from student body, we can start filling in the blanks and putting this puzzle together, uh, which is why, and I know it's a tight turnaround uh, to get your information back to us by the 31st. Um, we're still getting different directives from the local Department of Health. Uh, they've been terrific in helping put together our, our plan. Um, different things are changing from the DOE. When I first put out that letter a couple weeks ago, we were not allowed to offer 100% remote learning. And you just saw almost 40% of the parents selected that. So I was the bad guy, and I'll take the fall uh, most of the time. But this one's on the governor, right? And we were screaming, like, how could you do that? Page 49 of the plan, if you look it up online, clearly says you can offer 100% remote learning if you're also doing in-person learning. We were all doing that. Uh, so he did change his mind just last week, so we left districts scrambling. Um, staff member test positive or a student test positive, what happens, right? That's a huge variable. Um, the way that would work right now is uh, we're training our, our nurses, actually four of them are already trained in contact tracing. So if we get a, uh, I get a notice that a bus driver, a custodian, uh, a first grader, a, a high school senior tests positive, I contact the county health department, go listen to what they have to say. We will have our nurses and our contact tracers be point people 
and the county will do the contact tracing and decide, okay, you need to close a building down, the district down for five days, two weeks, whatever it might be. Um, if I was a betting man, and, and I'm not, um, you know, we're hoping to make it to October before something happens. Major League Baseball is getting worse and worse. They canceled uh, uh, the preseason of the NFL. Um, every day it's something. South Jersey, uh, the NJSAA uh, Athletic Association for Division Three schools canceled fall sports. You know, things are changing every single day. Um, I I'm optimistic we'll make it to October before we have to shut down. Um, but as you'll see in a second, we are much better prepared to turn on a dime than we were last March to go 100% remote learning for our, our kids and our staff members. We've learned a lot. So we are developing those contingency plans in response to any of these changes, which like I said, are coming mostly on a daily basis. So Kim's gonna talk us through what that hybrid model, if you decide to send your child back to school, this is what the day would look like. So I just, I feel like you're seeing a lot of asterisks and I'm sorry about that. And I was kind of saying in multiple meetings this week, it's the chicken or the egg. So for us to give you a fully detailed plan, we need you to tell us what your kid is doing, whether they're fully remote or not, and staff to tell us if they can come back or not. But then staff and families are saying, but I need to see the plan to make that decision. And so we're kind of in this, you know, catch 22 situation. So we're gonna kind of tell you what it could look like and using the word could and, and with the emphasis of here are the tenets that we believe in and that how we want to stress it. Obviously, as Brian said, if the number of kids going remote goes up, depending on the number of teachers needing to be remote goes up, that is our needs. Um, so it, it's very clean pre-K-5. For example, if I have 40 kindergartners who want to work fully remote, I can then take two elementary teacher staff members who also might have to work from home and they have the certs and they can have live instruction for those kids and have those two class sections. Where it gets really difficult if it's a Spanish teacher, if it's the AP English teacher, if it's this, you know, whatever it may be. And then that's where it gets tough because you might have kids coming to school and a teacher's remoting in or vice versa. So it, that's where it gets very complicated when we talk about kids' needs and personnel needs. Um, so if you look at the second column, it's easy for the in-person le learning, right? You come and you attend your live classes and you go through your schedule. At the high school, always more complicated. You know, on your first day in school, you're doing your A schedule. On your second day in school, you're doing your B schedule. Um, at the other schools, they're running an early dismissal schedule. And then post-dismissal, if you're here that day, you're working on classwork and homework. We are doing homework, purposeful homework, but we are gonna be doing homework. We're treating it as a, a normal school year and they're submitting their assignments on Google Classroom or Seesaw. Now, if you're hybrid, so say I'm in the strong cohort and it's Monday or Tuesday, what could that look like during the early dismissal part of the day, like the actual school day? They're gonna do instructional videos, they're gonna do some safe, self-paced, self-directed learning activities. They might be watching live class on Zoom. This is the catch-22. So say I'm a freshman and I have, you know, two teachers, you know, working from home, then yeah, they're gonna have like a live, live Zoom, but the other teachers are in class live with kids, so they can't do a live Zoom. So that's where it gets kind of tricky. Then they're also gonna work on lingering classwork and homework. But post-dismissal for them, we're trying to gonna do short live and shortened live instructional blocks, checking in about the day's assignments, the buildings with schedule, small group instruction, and office hours at the end. Now, once again, an asterisk, at RHS, 
we're possibly thinking about because they're older and there might not be as many childcare needs, on Fridays doing a full virtual day. Meaning, on Mondays and Tuesdays it's the Argyle cohort, on Wednesdays and Thursdays it's the Strong cohort, and on Fridays they all come together for that class. So that helps those remote learners who are at 37% right now build community, come into a classroom, it helps with personnel needs, it helps with um, instructional because now they're all on the same page. Because right now we're planning for the kids in front of us, the kids who we might gonna see in two days, and the kids who we're never going to see, right? So it kind of brings them all together on that Friday. We couldn't do that at the K-8 level because of childcare. Now if you're thinking about doing 100% remote learning, once again, it depends on personnel and what your child's age is, et cetera. So early dismissal day, but actual school day, they could be viewing instructional videos, they could be doing live class, working on homework, or right here, this is what I think everybody wants, is that, you know, have that synchronous instruction with a virtual teacher. I'm remote, my teacher's remote, and we're gonna, you know, go through a school day. K-5, that's much easier to do than when you get to 612 and they have eight subjects or eight different teachers. So they might have some teachers who are doing live sessions with them, and they might have others they're gonna catch up with after dismissal. So what does it look like post-dismissal? Same thing with the hybrid kids who are in school that day. That shortened live instructional blocks, the small group instruction, office hours, and like I said, catching up on Fridays. What's not on the slideshow is, because we don't wanna kinda of keep throwing different models at you, is if we are shut down, as Brian said, if we are all 100% remote, it's going to look different than it did in the spring. There's going to be blocks with live times every single day, scheduled times from 9 to 2. Like, we are ready to go. If we shut down, we are going to be doing synchronous instruction for all kids. We are ready and able and, and we can do it. What this is, is the hybrid model where we have some kids in front of us, some we're going to see in a couple days, and some who are always going to be remote. So once we kind of get through this part of the plan and we get a commitment of what kids are coming back, what teachers are coming back, We'll then communicate in a couple of weeks if, in fact, we have to go fully remote for everyone. This is what it's going to look like, just so that you know and just so that staff know, everybody knows, and we can kind of move forward from there. But we want to focus on this piece because you have to make a decision. Athletics and extracurriculars, um, as of right now, fall high school sports will start September 14th. The idea is you practice for a few weeks, and a shortened season, not traveling as far as the teams would normally travel uh, October 1st through uh, probably uh, mid to, to late November. Um, but all this, like I said, may change. Uh, we heard today that the Philadelphia school system is going all remote until at least November. Um, it sounds like it's, it's like the dominoes are starting to fall. Uh, and I said before about you know, what happened with professional sports and in, in South Jersey. But as of right now, that's the plan for our athletes. And there are a plethora of safety uh, protocol in place for those athletes. Um, but to me, you know, we're doing all this. Uh, and one of our board members sat on the pandemic response team and said you know, how clean and impressive she thought this whole, whole plan was. Um, but we're doing all this during the day, right? And if you play football, you have to wear a mask when you're talking to your coach on the sideline. You have to social distance, and then we're saying, go out and tackle each other. Like, to me, that doesn't make any sense. So I think that's just wishful thinking on the part of uh, the higher-ups uh, in sports. I hope I'm wrong, um, but I just don't see how it's gonna happen. 
Uh, we have canceled middle school sports for the very reason I just explained. I played soccer all my life. You know, there's no way to socially distance on, on a soccer field. Um, all, not all, um, we're trying to figure out which extracurricular activities can be remote in all three schools. Student council, Sharon, can be remote. I think we said math club, math right? Club. There, are, there are a number of activities that we still want to do for our kids because it's just awful. You're ripping sports away from them. We're going to try to give them as much as we possibly can, again, based on the teachers coming back and, and whatnot. But we'll try to do as many extracurricular clubs and activities as possible. Uh, our band and choir teachers here at the high school are amazing. I don't know if you have uh, children in that, in that program, but they're doing studies and, and sending us the information. Uh, if you're blowing into a trumpet, what the spray looks through, like, like through uh, like, a, 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 like an x-ray machine. Like they, they're doing these studies and they really want it to work. They're investigating masks with holes in them so you can play a clarinet. Um, so that's still a work in progress, uh, but to get you know, 100 kids into a room and start spraying uh, your, your spit around is probably not a good idea during these times. Uh, so they're trying maybe do it remotely, do it some fashion. They're, they're you know, grasping at straws trying to make this work, but as of right now, it's still a work in progress. It's going to be more like a flipped classroom model where kids would record themselves at home and then they'll come in and kind of analyze the musical theory and things along that because we just don't feel safe doing that. Like right. if you're blowing across a flute, you're just like, you know, spreading the, the air right. right away. And as we said before, this is the new normal for now. I've gotten some questions of why are you teaching the arts and the music and those things. We're still mandated to teach the New Jersey student learning standards. And all that is part of that. They've not changed any of those requirements. So we still are mandated to teach all classes like we have in the past. Um, we know there are some students in need of technology. We're working on a way to get hotspots for that population. Based on the survey, only about 3% said that we need a device or a hotspot, and we're working on ways to get that for, for those families. Parent conferences. How is that going to look? We're not sure yet. We don't have that answer. No field trips anywhere before January 1st. Security drills, right? We're social distancing, but then we pull a lockdown and we're telling everybody to get into a corner of a room, right? That doesn't make any sense, but we've got no guidance on that. Will we do fire drills? Imagine you have to socially distance in a fire drill walking down the hallway and then socially distance when you're outside away from the building. Um, how do you figure that out? We've not gotten guidance on that yet. No assemblies, no extra people coming into the buildings. Uh, orientation information will be forthcoming from all three buildings, uh, particularly the high school. I know they run that three-day uh, new, student, new student orientation. We're extending it to five days. What that will look like, that information will be coming out shortly. We're asking no visitors, except if you make prior arrangements coming into the building. Uh, use of buildings and the fields at this point are not gonna be allowed just because of uh, the traffic coming into our buildings on our, our property. Talked about hydration, that's gonna be a challenge. We're asking water bottles. We'll try to solve that as best we can, uh, buying you know, cartons of, of water bottles, so on and so forth. And you'll see changes to the supply list. We're asking you to bring in cloth masks. We'll have masks for students that may have forgotten them for the day, or they rip it off their, their face or lose it during the course of the day. We're asking for those masks to be cloth. Bring in some hand sanitizer. We figured that if we go through uh, the amount of hand sanitizer we're figuring during the course of the, of the school year, it's about a quarter of a million dollars. 
just for hand sanitizer. So imagine we invest in this money now, right? And then they shut us down for you know, half a year to the year, for the full year. We will have cartons and cases of hand sanitizers for years to come. Um, and if you can, please provide a water bottle for your, your son or daughter. Some of the common questions that we're getting, um, why early dismissal, not full day? Again, we go back to that health and safety reason. Uh, serving lunch uh, necessitates a full day. This is for not serving lunch because we can't eat in indoor restaurants. We can't eat in our classrooms. Uh, that's why we decided on the early dismissal, uh, early dismissal day. Uh, why can't there be live streaming? We're trying. One of the challenges is uh, Sharon School is you know, out on the other side of town. The broadband going out there is not very good. So to say we're going to do live streaming, we're going to try. We're going to experiment. We're going to you know, uh, try those things. But as of right now, we just can't offer that. As Kim said, we're trying to incorporate it into the other schedules. And it's still a work in progress. So some more of that may be coming. Will we adjust the schedule for holidays and other days off? No. So if we're, we don't have school on a Monday, you come the next day, that's A day, and then Wednesday is B day. If tomorrow is a, is a B day and you're in person and there's a power outage in Robbinsville and we have to cancel school, we're not bumping that day. You follow the schedule, we'll make up for it on the other, other side. If I selected no for a bus, does that mean my student doesn't have a seat for the trimester or semester? Absolutely not. Like I said, we're trying to be flexible uh, and be sensitive to daycare issues. So those buses will run the same routes every single day and will stop at a bus stop. And if no kids get on, no kids get on, knowing that maybe tomorrow there might be uh, your son or daughter that needs a ride to school. So the, the uh, buses will run. If you say no, let us know. If it changes, you know, we'll make adjustments with that. Uh, but it doesn't mean uh, you can't get on to a bus. We just were trying to figure out numbers and what our buses look like. Because according to CDC guidelines, we have to socially distance on a bus. 54 kids on a bus, every six feet, three feet with a mask, that means 11 kids on a bus. We would have to make 15 bus runs for every one run we would do to get the kids to school. And by the time that would happen, it would be time to send them back home. Um, but we, we are very sensitive about sanitizing our buses between each run with those sprayers. And like I said, spray them down really good. That stuff is fantastic. Uh, in my former district, we uh, instituted a very robust preschool program, and the mandates and the state guidelines for preschool are outrageous, uh, and for good reason. Um, so we're employing those standards on our buses, in our classrooms, in our hallways, across the district. What was once good for preschool, now is good for, for everyone. And those electric static guns are, are really terrific. Um, for 100% remote students, will there be any teacher contact before the half day is over? Kim, you want to? Yeah, so like going back to what I said, it really depends on once we get a little bit firmer numbers from students and from staff that we can kind of sit there with puzzle pieces and try to plot along like, this is a virtual kid, so let's try to put them with a virtual teacher and kind of match pairs uh, going off of that. Uh, so if, if we can't, I think K-5, as I said, is easier to do that. Um, and in 612, we're going to do the best to our ability. So it might be some teachers. I can't say that it's going to be all teachers that they're going to have contact with before that post-dismissal time. Okay. Will there be homework? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Excellent. Uh, for hybrid learners, the learning be independent, like what we saw in the spring. So yes, and then but there's also those check-in times, whether it's post-dismissal with live interaction with the teacher, or if they have a remote teacher sometime in, or in the morning, then yes, they'll have that interaction as well. Um, you know, it's, we're, we're trying to fit in everything within a school day. We also have to give the teachers prep time to make the instructional videos, to plan, to touch base with each other, et cetera. So we're trying to fit in a lot for those three groups within the school day. And as I mentioned earlier, if we do go everyone 100% remote, it will be live synchronous instruction for you know, parts of each block. When we talk about the little guys, little guys like kindergarten, first grade, that's when we kind of say, okay, what's appropriate with screen time? But there would be small group lessons with the teacher every day. There'd be, there's going to be much more live interaction if the school has to go fully remote. Information on red will be coming out, I believe, this week or early next week. Again, we're trying to extend those hours depending on staff and, and supervision of, of the students. Uh, what happens if the staff or, or student uh, displays uh, symptoms of COVID? Talked about it a little bit before, but if you've ever been in an elementary building, kids come to school with fevers and headaches all the time, every day. So under our practices, as mandated by the Department of Education, if you, know, you screen your child, he's okay to come to school, and inevitably what happens when they get to school, they start running a fever, and you know your kids, right? My, I could tell my kids had fevers. They look pale, they're ready to, you know, to fall asleep. Uh, they would go to the nurse, do the screening, and then we're told they have to go to an isolation room, uh, which will be supervised by a staff member. We're still required to supervise children 100% of the time uh, and give you a call and have you come pick up your child. Um, and then contact tracing, we talked a little bit about, about that before. Our nurses will be doing, uh, the, being the point person for each of our schools, but the county health department will be really leading the charge with that and asking our nurses, you know, what's the name of this child? What's the contact? Uh, brothers and sisters, what's their schedule? Um, were they on a bus? Did they get dropped off? Those types of things the nurses will be able to answer. Brian, can I just add one thing yeah. about lunch? So um, I just want to make it clear that even though we are not serving lunch, those who qualify for free and reduced lunch will still have lunches provided. That's part of the district will we'll do that. And then in case some of you are not familiar with like state requirements and say, well, why can't we just not serve lunch and do a full day? We have to, by law, serve lunch if we're doing the full day. So that's why we can't kind of get around that. Um, and this says it all, right? Things are changing almost daily. Uh, as Kim said, we are ready to pivot if we have to go 100% remote at any time. Uh, I think we're in much better shape than we were in March. Um, but uh, the governors are going to have to make that call. Right? As I said, Philadelphia is shutting down until November. My sister teaches in South Florida. They have no idea what they're doing. They're they push that back to start of school for a couple weeks and probably even longer. Uh, but if we have an outbreak in one of our schools, uh, we're going to have to probably shut down all three schools for a good chunk of time. But that mandate will come from the health department, and they'll be telling me what to do uh, with regards to that. But um, we all need to be flexible. We all need to be ready to change. Um, as I said, things are changing every day. Um, I do thank you for coming. Uh, what we'd like to do now is just remind you that you can use the email address there to continue to send me questions. Um, we have a virtual meeting on Thursday. The WebEx invitation I think went out today. Uh, we'll be sending out again so you can sign up, ask questions. We'll get deeper into the weeds 
um, and answer your questions as best we can at this point, knowing that things are ever-changing with that. Um, during public session, we'll ask that you, of course, this is on the agenda. Uh, if you want to ask some questions, terrific. Uh, we're trying, just because this is a business meeting, we'll try to hurry that up as best we can. We're not going to get into some real deep questions, but uh, our, um, my executive assistant over here, Mrs. Delgatti, uh, will take your questions, come up to the mic, you know, speak, uh, have your comments, your questions ready. Uh, if we can answer them, we'll do our best, but for time-wise, we're going to try to speed it along. We'll get deeper into the weeds, I promise, and Thursday, anytime you need to email me, uh, I'm available. And then, like I said, we're probably going to do those uh, meetings per school to, again, answer your questions. Because if I was a parent, uh, my kids were this age, I would have you know, a million questions like you have. Uh, there are uh, unprecedented times that we're dealing with. Um, but I think it's a, a good plan. The best education to me as a public educator for over 30, uh, 33 years um, is being face-to-face -face with the teacher. And that's where our kids should be. Make your decision based on what's best for your family, and we're going to try to be as flexible as we can to meet the demands of the children of Robinson. So, thank you. Board members, do you have any questions? Yeah, you can use the microphone, Rich. Do you want to pass it along? First of all, thank you very much for this presentation and all of the uh, tremendous amount of work that's gone into this so far. And just so the public knows, we saw the details of this and there were 87 pages yesterday. And I'm sure that's growing day by day. So it's really a, a, an incredible task that you've been working on and still have to come. Um, personally, I, I appreciate the plan. I like the plan. I think it offers options for parents who want to send their kids back to school for in-class instruction. It also gives the remote option. And there's a variety of ways uh, to navigate both. And I appreciate that you're being open about uh, working with parents in this tough time because, frankly, you know, right now a lot of folks are going back to school, back to work in the fall. They will need flexibility to adjust their schedules and, you know, it's not in most of their DNA to, to teach kids as you, you guys do for a living. One thing that caught my attention at the beginning was you were talking about the, uh, um, the self-assessment for health in the morning. What happens if a kid or a parent does not submit that when they get to school? What do we do? We're allowing the pandemic response teams to figure that one out. Um, I would assume, uh, Rich, that uh, you know, kid comes to school, they have a list of kids that have not submitted that, um, send them to the nurse, the nurse would do the screening, maybe call mom, dad, any COVID in your family, ask those questions, we're all clear, get to class. We're not gonna be, sorry, you have to leave, right? Some districts are doing that screening on the bus, right? The student can't get to the bus, onto the bus, the bus driver is really going to be there with the thermometer, which I think is awful. Because what do you do with the little second grader who can't get on the bus because she has a fever of 103, right? Where, where is she going? It doesn't work. Right, it doesn't, it doesn't work, right? Um, so we thought that was the best option. But, you know, we're not kids out of school. Uh, we'll do the, the testing in school. Because um, I know that you know, as a parent, again, hectic mornings, particularly with my daughter when she was in middle school, that was insane. Right, what to wear, what not to wear, arguing, all that stuff. Uh, I've got to now take your temperature and do all that. Um, it, it's going to be a challenge, right? It's a new normal. Um, but I could see that's how the process, I think if I was principal, that's how it would, would work. I'm assuming the principals will lay that a similar process out for their buildings. Great. You've addressed a bunch of the questions already, and personally, I truly appreciate your transparency and openness with this Q&A that you've had online. I mean, 
in my six years here, I've never seen anything like it. And it's uh, many, many people have said they are really grateful for having that resource online. It's easy to go to to find out the, uh, the questions that they have. One, uh, you, you've asked, answered a couple of them, but what some people have asked about outside learning under tents and thoughts about that as to why or why not do it? Um, I think I've heard that happening in one of the districts. First, any type of facility where you're going to educate children needs to be Department of Education approved, right? That's one thing. Can that be done? I'm sure it can. But then you're talking tents, weather issues, right? Um, what are we doing? We're putting heaters in tents outside? That, that's not a good idea, right? We've got to run power. There's no technology. There's no bathrooms. Kids still have to come inside. Um, it, it just, it's a myriad of, of issues, uh, one after the other. Um, we're staying away from that. Okay, lastly for Kim, um, you touched on the, the, the spring experience that was really a, a work in progress as, as, as the year went on. Um, what assurances do you have for parents that the fall experience will be better than the spring? So it's so a good question. So I would say that, you know, we're building on the live experience. I think what's hard is, as I said, we're now dividing one teacher three ways. So you're, you're focusing on the kids in front of you, the kids you're going to see in two days, and the kids that you only receive remotely. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve again. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to say it's going to be 100% perfect when we start out because of those things. But I think when we have those built-in live times where teachers are working and having those mini lessons with kids and checking in with them and saying, here's the instruction for the day, I think that's really important. When it, if, as I said, if we go fully remote, it's going to be a million times better because we have set schedules and wellness blocks built in. And I, I think we talked about it in Ed Policy and the Ed Policy Committee was like, this is good. Like we can, we can work with this, we can live with this, and we think the community can live with this. Um, but as I said, it's gonna be a little bit of a learning curve when we talk about September. I'm done, thank you, and again, good luck with all this. Um, thanks guys, it was really um, good to hear right from the source as to what, what the plan was, so thank you so much. My one question just was about the health screening um, tool as well. Um, obviously, if a parent selects yes to any of those, the child should be staying home, correct? I mean, it, and that's going to be in the, um, somewhere on the platform that, you know, if for some reason that child is in school and, you, and they've checked off yes, that that's going to be brought to um, admin's attention. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to. Sorry. Okay. Um, the health screening, health screening. if 100% yes. you're not doing the health screening and submitting that, it's only when you're coming into the school. Right. My question was, though, if you're selecting yes, because you're, let's say your child has a headache um, that morning, um, that child should be staying home, correct? Like, what's... Yeah, yes. Okay. And, and, and Lisa, we always, schools always say that. If your child doesn't feel well, they need right. to stay home. Now, I understand as a working parent, sometimes that's not possible, right? Right. It, it just isn't. Uh, so when they come to school, hope, you know, give them some Advil, hopefully they're okay, but if they start showing signs of, you know, fever or something, they'll be sent to the nurse, and then, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. So the report that gets um, kicked out from Genesis, if it has a yes on it and that students in the building, are we doing follow-up work on that? If, if a, Parent says yes. My child has a fever, has a headache, yep. and I send them to school anyway. Yep. Uh, we're we're gonna bring them in a, in a very professional way to right. the nurse, right, and uh, put them in the isolation room 
call mom or dad, please come and get your child. Now the question is, what staff member do you hire or do you put into the isolation room with potentially sick children? Right. You know, I joke with uh, our union president, the first teacher to file a grievance gets assigned the isolation <laughs> room, right? Just kidding. Um, but, you know, that's a, it sounds great, but when you put it into practice, who's going into that room, right? right? Um, and just, I'm sorry, I have one other question. Are the buses going to be cleaned in between the routes? Buses will be cleaned between each route. Okay. Now, I put up that schedule, right? Ideally, um, if you had 54 kids on a bus and you're making your regular runs, there's no way you can stay on schedule and have to clean the bus and say it's four minutes, right? But you're cleaning the bus, maybe in six minutes, it drives in four, you can drive while it's driving, um, but less kids are gonna be on that bus because we're only bringing half the kids to school and the parents, probably more parents are gonna be driving their kids. So ideally it should be okay and we should have time between runs to spray, dry, do the next run. Okay, great. Yeah. That's, you know, that, that's one of the questions, right? Do we have to adjust the schedule if we're finding that cleaning the buses is just taking too long? We may have to do that. Uh, but right now, we're gonna try to keep to the schedule that we've always kept to, realizing those variables maybe, maybe allow us time to do that, that type of cleaning between runs. It might change the time of school, which then again throws off parent schedules, so we're trying to avoid that. Uh, we're thinking uh, the bus drivers can do that cleaning, uh, get it done in time while they're driving, windows are supposed to be open, uh, our buses, most of them do not have air conditioning, so the windows will be open, have it dry, um, and then pick up the next set of kids. But it'll be clean between every row. I just had a couple questions. My first was just regarding when you were talking about special, that the kids were going to be staying in the room. So just regarding um, PTOT speech, are those kids still going to be able to be pulled out and go into their rooms, especially for PT using special equipment? Uh, Shannon, a great question. Um, I would say it's in the IP. We're mandated to implement those related services. What that's going to look like, I'm not sure. Uh, we've purchased the face shields for a number of staff members. Uh, and when I said masks too, we've uh, ordered the adult sizes and the child sizes, so we have a plethora of, of masks and whatnot, uh, protective equipment for the, those therapists. What it's gonna actually look like, I'm, I'm not sure. I would imagine them getting pulled out of class to do the therapies. Um, I'm not sure if there are any other times. You know, is it possible to make arrangements for you to pick up your child after dismissal? They go into therapy and you, you know you're picking them up maybe a half an hour late, that's possible. Again, we're gonna be trying to be as flexible as we possibly can with those types of things. Um, but that would be an answer from uh, the CST department and the pandemic response team at the, the school. Okay, um, I have three questions. So my second one was, so for fully working parents, parents that may be essential workers and not able to participate with their children on online learning, especially um, younger kids, what accommodations can be made if kids are not able to do remote learning for the second half of the day? So if kids are able to go in the morning, but let's say they have to go to a babysitter or something in the afternoon, they may not get credit for the second half of the day because both parents are working. So I'm wondering what, what's the option there? And also if they go fully remote, and just in full transparency, we're one of those families. If we go fully remote, 
we can't go to school. So I'm just wondering what options are there for parents who are both working essential positions? Yeah, that's a great question. I can tell you a lot of the questions that have come in, we've used not just to answer parents, but I've gone back to Kim and go, a parent asked this question, what do you think about it? It's really made that plan stronger. That's a great question. I mean, I think that's a wonderful question. So I think it depends on a case-by-case basis and working with that family and trying to figure out if there's slots open, making it work. Once again, K-5 is much easier to do than like a 6-12 model. But once again, we would urge families to, if you don't feel comfortable reaching out to central office, reaching out to a principal, your case manager, whoever it may be, a guidance counselor, so that we can make special accommodations because obviously we want kids to be learning. And if they can't do that at home, we have to figure something out. Okay, yeah, thank you. And then just my last question was, I know we talked about possibly extending the RED program. And my question is, let's say you have a lot more kids going into RED program. Will there be consideration, will you guys consider slots for lower income families who can't afford RED tuition but who need childcare? Will we try to work with families who need to prioritize that but can't afford the care that's needed? Absolutely. Mr. McCree's, our new VA, starts on Monday. He and I, when we were in Jamesburg, 65% of our population free reduced lunch. So very familiar with working with families. And absolutely, I see public schools as providing services as much as we provide education for families, right? Lunch, breakfast and lunch, if we can do those types of things. Related services, babysitting, after school care, that kind of thing. It's important that we start thinking of schools that way. That's my background and trying to bring it here to Robbinsville. Just because we're deemed an I district, there are needy families everywhere. There are needy families everywhere. You don't have to qualify for free reduced lunch to be in need. And I'm very sensitive to that. So absolutely, working with families is paramount in whatever we do in trying to make this work for September and moving forward. Thank you very much for all the work you guys have put into this and all the other staff in the district. I know I've done that as well. Question, I was very happy to see emphasis placed on more vulnerable children, whether it's the pre-readers, children with IEPs. Can you elaborate a little more, give us a little more detail, or the parents that might be wondering what that looks like in terms of getting them more in-person time or prioritizing them? Because I think we've done that and I don't know if we explained that that well. Yeah, thank you. Kim and I talked about this. You want to promise slow but deliver high, right? I would love to say all our special kids are coming back. It depends on who's coming back, right? We have to have the staff before we know where the kids are going to be and what those programs look like. That's going to be a challenge and that's going to be our challenge, putting the pieces of this puzzle together over the next few weeks. We don't have a lot of time, right? August is going to be here very shortly and school's going to be upon us really, really quickly. We've got to work at a feverish pace to make all this work. So I would love to give you an answer. I would love to give those parents an answer. What will that day for those special ed children look like? We're not sure yet, but we know we have IPs to implement. We know we have vulnerable kids that we're going to service and do our best to provide. And we're going to meet the mandates of those IEPs. We have a legal obligation to do that. We also have a moral obligation to help those kids out. We're not sure about our instructional assistants. 
who I'm hearing are fantastic in this district and do a great job working with all of them. And they're so excited. That's all I have. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Again, uh, make sure uh, you have the, the email. Uh, it's on the website. Uh, and by the way, uh, we're looking in October to introduce a brand new website. Um, I'm not a fan of what we have now. It's very hard to work with. Uh, my executive assistants over there could, could uh, vouch for that. Uh, but you'll see a brand new website, uh, hopefully up by October 1st, with an app. Um, so it's a lot easier to get information. Uh, someone used the word transparency, and that's what we're trying to do. You know, we're not hiding anything. Um, we're a public school. We pay tax dollars to us, um, and we're accountable to you. And, you know, I'm trying to promote that through just being open and honest through everything that we do. So please use this. Please tune in on Thursday if you have additional questions. We'll go through the same presentation, but then just open it up for any and all questions. Um, I will try to keep posting the Q&A. I think it's at 15 pages now. Um, it's been a challenge to stay up with that and do the presentations and the, the plan, but now that this is done, hopefully more time can be um, going to the, the Q&A piece. Um, and again, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming out tonight. It's greatly appreciated, um, and you know we'll do this. We've got this. Uh, it's not going to be perfect, but it'll be really good for our kids. So thank you again. We're going to continue our meeting. You're more than welcome to stay. Um, we'll finish up business and then we'll go from there. So, thank you again for coming out. Uh, take a couple people into the restroom. I'll just give us a minute if that's okay. 60 seconds. 